Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Rachel Maddow, The Young Turks, and Tom Hartman. Is the goal for, of Americans for Campaign Reform to eliminate private money in campaigns altogether or reform it? Uh, the latter. Hmm. It's to increase the amount of public uh, uh, funding of campaigns so that uh, candidates who choose on a voluntary basis to uh, uh, restrict the amount of money that they're raising on a, on a private basis can receive public money. Uh, but I believe my own experience of having run four campaigns myself as a candidate and watching many, many other people when I chaired the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee for four years try to become candidates, mm. uh, the, the, the question of can I raise the money oftentimes is, the, is a barrier. It's a barrier to entry. And, yeah. and what happens is once people begin the process of raising money, uh, they don't actually – it's not a quid pro quo when they're raising money from donors – not to mention this issue or to mention another issue, but I just don't think you can argue that, uh, that, that private money isn't altering the nature of the political debate. So I think you'd get much more interesting ideas expressed both by Democrats and by Republicans, uh, much more likely to connect to what people themselves are, are, are thinking if uh, you, you gave an opportunity to non-incumbents to acquire enough uh, capacity to get their name uh, well enough known in a congressional district or in a state. It'd be, it, even the amount of money we're talking about would probably not make it possible for an unknown person to gather enough money in New Jersey or New York where, mm. where it's uh, expensive. extremely expensive. But in, in congressional districts, I think it would radically alter the nature of the, of the opportunity for people to run as well as the, the nature of the debate. It, it would also change the nature of incumbency and what it is to serve in Congress, to serve in, as a member of the U.S. Senate. I mean, I know people who um, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm 33 and I have friends who are of the age who are public service minded people who are considering whether or not they want, want to run to off, want to run for office. And yeah, you think about how much money you can raise for your initial campaign. But one of the things that's really off-putting to people who I think would make great public servants who are among my peers is the idea that once you're elected, you then spend all of your time continuing to raise money because you're constantly running for re-election. Well, I think that's a myth. By hmm. the way. I, I don't think you, you're constantly raising money. Uh, certainly in the Senate, that's not true. You tend to raise money in, in a very intense, over a very intense short period of time. In the House, actually, you maybe feel like you're constantly raising money because it's a two-year Every term. Every two years, yeah. It's a two-year term. But I don't... I, the problem for me isn't that you're constantly raising money. The problem is that there really is a barrier to entry, and that it's expressed in a in a in a in a, in a question that oftentimes gets asked to somebody who's thinking about becoming a candidate by people who have experience. They'll say, "What's your name identification?" In other words, how many people in your congressional district recognize your name? And most people, if you put your name up in a poll, they did a 1,200-person sample or something like that, you'd get you know, four or five percent name identification just because people think they know who you are. And in fact, they don't. Hmm. Well, you can't be a credible candidate unless you get 70 or 80 percent name identification. It's exceptionally difficult to do it. Yeah. And the problem is, if you're a challenger running against uh, somebody with a lot of money or uh, just running against somebody with a lot of money anyway, the problem is uh, that they can they can tell people who you are. And they'll run 30-second ads or yeah. they'll run their own blogs or whatever it is, that they, whatever techniques they're using. And by the time you're done, people will think you're something other than what you actually are because that, that other person has defined you. That's what it's called in politics. I'm going to define my opponent mm-hmm. by running large numbers of television ads. And suddenly you get done with the campaign. Not only have you lost, but people think you're something other than what you actually are because they've watched these advertisements on television constantly telling everybody who you are. In case you're just joining us, our guest is Bob Carey, who's the president of the New School here in New York. He's the honorary chair of Americans for Campaign Reform, and of course, he's a former Democratic senator from the state of Nebraska. Now, the website for Americans for Campaign Reform right now is just $6.org. What's the $6 hook? Well, $6 is what it would cost every taxpayer uh, uh, in the United States per year to fund this. So Mm. so that's how much much we estimate the taxpayers in the United States would have to pay to to fund this. It's How probably, much would that raise in total about every year? About $600 million, uh, $600 million a year. Okay. Take about a billion, two to fund this you know, on a voluntary basis. Again, this is not a 
This does not prohibit somebody from going out there and spending their own money or saying, no, I don't want to take the uh, public money and thus I'll, I'll, I'll raise the money all on my own. It doesn't prevent somebody uh, from uh, either spending their own money or in a, on a, on a, and, on a and continuing wh- basis. Why is that so money. important? That seems like uh, that's I mean, constitutionally, that may be important. It seems politically like it might be a weakness, because if you do, I mean, right now with the public system, we have people opting out so that they can raise tons of money. Obviously, both John Kerry and George W. Bush opted out of public financing uh, in the last presidential race and then went on to raise five times privately what they would have received mm-hmm. publicly. If, if there is the opt out clause, doesn't that just mean that all the rich guys will opt out anyway and leave the people who are taking public financing at a disadvantage? Well, I mean, the good news is there aren't that many rich guys who are publicly appealing. So, I mean, that's the good news. So, <laughs> Although uh, with a big enough campaign, you can make anybody look good, yeah, I suppose. Look, I mean, the, the four of us who are signed on to this, uh, uh, Warren Rudman, Alan Simpson, Bill Bradley, and I, uh, strongly support the First Amendment. And, and uh, we don't want to amend the Constitution to restrict uh, the capacity of somebody to speak freely. So once you reach that conclusion... Uh, very difficult to reach a conclusion. You ought to restrict uh, the capacity of somebody to spend their own money or to raise money in, in some other way. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're proposing, even on a voluntary basis, will have a dramatic impact on the capacity of an individual who wants to run to not just seek office, but to to describe to their constituents what it is that they would do in their own terms as opposed to on the terms of the people who are funding our campaigns today. And then who would decide how much uh, each candidate in each type of race, uh, how much they actually got? Because you wouldn't get the same. If you're running in Nebraska, you wouldn't need presumably the same amount of money for a Senate race that you would for a race in New York because the price of the media markets is so different. Right. How would you make a decision about who, who got how much money? Well, we actually don't get that into that detail. We, don't, hmm. we haven't specified how you do uh, uh, state or congressional uh, district differentials based upon the cost of the media. But it's a very important point. You would have to do it. And indeed, one of the challenges uh, in this is that you you might the Congress could certainly authorize it, but may find themselves not appropriating the money because this is not a checkoff. This is not a checkoff system where people would decide whether or not they want to fund, as we do with the presidential campaign, right. whether or not they want to fund it. So uh, uh, this would either work or it wouldn't work. And if it doesn't work, it's not likely Congress would fund it. So it may be that it works so well, on the other hand, that the American people say we'd like to do more of this. So it's really sort of. A, uh, uh, an, a what I would call a low cost experiment with with public funding of campaigns. Do you have any uh, any stated overt opposition yet uh, rising up against this idea from within the Congress as people started to fight back against uh, this not idea? Not really. No, I mean it, it's, hmm. it hasn't got that much traction. I, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be very difficult for an incumbent to oppose it if it does start to get traction with the American people. Yeah. I think the, the, the hardest thing is for the taxpayer to, to say, "Gee, am I going to really get something out of this? Is this just going to be a billion two hundred dollars, two hundred million dollars every two years thrown down the drain uh you know it's it, it, it's about one-sixth of what we spend on dog food every year so this is not <laughs> like we're putting a huge amount of money out here to keep democracy alive and i think it, it, as i said once you begin to think about some of the elements of current uh, campaign financing and that's the challenge yeah to get people to understand what what is it what is it Costing us now democratically. Yeah, well, I mean, what are the real barriers? If you once yeah. you begin to think about what the real barriers are and and what we what we miss by not getting the kinds of people that would get in otherwise, I think people will become enthusiastic about it. Yeah, I think the success of this as a proposal will really defend, depend on being able to define the problems in the current system for what we really could have as a democracy. Yeah, I agree. Not only who's involved, but uh, but what we lose because of the current system of financing in terms of who actually gets served by the way we govern. Uh, so Senator Bob Carey, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. You're welcome. I should be with you. Bob Carey is the former Democratic senator from the state of Nebraska, currently president of the New School here in New York, and the honorary chair of Americans for Campaign Reform. Uh, the other honorary chairs, interestingly, are Warren Rudman, former Republican senator of New Hampshire, former Republican Wyoming senator Alan Simpson, and former Democratic New Jersey senator Bill Bradley. A truly bipartisan effort. You can learn more about it online at their website, just6dollars.org. Uh, the scheme to steal OA. Yeah, well, let's let's back it up. 
Okay. You got the scheme to steal 08, but there's mm-hmm. a, a big story in the Rolling in Rolling Stone coming out now from Robert mm-hmm. Kennedy Jr. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, saying that the uh, Bush-Cheney people mounted a coordinated, serious campaign to steal 04. You also maintain, with Catherine Harris, the effort to steal 2000. Talk to us about 04. 04. Yeah, no, I'll, in and fact, I'll, we'll get I'll be on with uh, Kennedy on his program on Saturday. But the um, uh, in 04, I mean, what, what uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., is now saying in Rolling Stone is, look, it was shoplifted in 2004. Here's the evidence in Ohio. And he just took the case of Ohio. Right. Okay. Something like 154,000. Yeah. And and he was saying, and he was saying that this was not reported. But again, we were reporting this in November. I mean, we were literally uh, reporting it the week of BBC that, look, and I was trying to explain to the British audience and worldwide audience, if you count the votes in Ohio, see, John Kerry wins. But we don't count all the votes in America. And that's the nasty little trick of American democracy. We what had votes? 3 million votes in America, 3,600,000 and some change votes that were ballots cast, never counted. In Ohio, it was around 300,000 300, Okay, yeah. that were cast and not counted. Now, if it's random, now you have to understand how that happens. It's basically in like three piles. Right. The first is what they call spoiled votes. You know, remember hanging chads? Yeah, sure. Everyone thought that they left, but they that they migrated from Florida to Ohio. Huge amount of punch cards that just didn't punch. Mm-hmm. Touch screens that didn't feel that they were touched properly. Right. Um, paper ballots mangled. If it's random, then it's going to be about. So you know, it's gonna, the percentage is probably you know, won't call change. me Mr. Big Deal. Right. Ah, but now the trick is, and 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 what I was adding to the discussion beginning in 2000 with our BBC investigation team, I said. Why don't we go through the, 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 the dumpster? Whose ballots are those? There's no trick to it. You go precinct by precinct. Turns out if you're in an African-American precinct, the chance your ballot gets mangled, spoiled, the, 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 your, your chads get hung, is 900% higher <laughs> than if you're in a white majority precinct. Hispanic, brown skin, 500% higher than white. And here's a big one. Native Americans, like 20 to 1. I mean, we don't give natives blankets with smallpox anymore. We just give them crud voting machines. I mean, you, there are precincts in, in reservations where it said that, so, that natives went to the precinct, walked into the polling station, and only one in ten picked the president and then walked out. So let, let me understand something. What is the reasoning behind it? I mean, what is, what's the source of the problem? It's, is it that, you know, and we're talking to Greg uh, Palast. He wrote Our Madhouse, and he's a reporter with the BBC. Is it that the Republicans are saying, you know what, people think, oh, these idiot minorities screwed it up. Let's just take it and and throw it in the garbage. Or is it that they give them bad voting machines, which then lead to to more defaults, etc.? It's kind of a a both, which is that it's benign, it's not benign, it's strategic neglect. In other words, in the case of... Ken Blackwell, this guy who was Secretary, Secretary of, State. of State of Ohio, running for governor, now running for governor, uh, running with Jesus, he says. He's running for governor. Uh, he was also the head of the Bush re-election campaign while he's in charge of counting the votes and he's in charge of the counting machinery in, in Ohio, okay, running the thing for Bush. Now, he writes a, a, a who letter. Who doesn't think that that's outrageous, Now wait, by the way? No, you're allowed, you're allowed to wear two hats if you have two heads, but, and so I haven't investigated his... You know, cranial condition. Right. Yeah. But I have to say, um, he knew. He actually wrote a letter to, uh, saying beforehand, if we don't change the machines to minority areas, we're going to lose a lot of minority votes. The guy was boasting. The ace, you know, the one thing. You know, he this, change we them. knew this this sucker was coming right at us because. Wait and I got to tell you. But, Craig, hang on. Let me back up just mm-hmm. so I don't want to cut you off, but I no, want to make sure you understand. So uh, he says, if we don't uh, change the machines mm-hmm. in the minority areas, we're going to lose a lot of minority votes. That's right. And he means we're going to lose a lot of minority votes to carry, not lose them and <laughs> then they won't be counted. No, <laughs> we're going to lose votes because, I mean, literally the votes will not be recorded. And he loved it because. Whose votes are those when you so talk about So was he suggesting minority? the machines not be changed? Or That's he... right. He said, don't change the machines, because here's the deal. He, the ACLU could see it coming. And I have to say, and this was completely unreported, the ACLU sued him before the election, saying, fix those machines. Right. And, where, and, where and you... he ended up with a trial on that three weeks after the election. Cute. Uh, Greg, where did you get the letter where he says it's a good thing to, to, to not count these votes? I'd have to go back to our... Re- we have a... That's the other thing. Greg Palace is a nose on, on camera. 
Okay, uh-huh. and I got to hold the pen for write the arm madhouse. I write the books, mm-hmm. but it's a whole investigative team, mm-hmm. and we do stuff. And we do old-fashioned gumshoe investigative reporting. Stuff walks out of file cabinets. Um, stuff and some of this stuff, uh, Freedom of Information Act. And then when they black out the stuff, we go get someone who'll tell us what was underneath the blackout, and mm-hmm. you know. So we do the old-fashioned stuff, and then we also even just get stuff that that is sitting kind of what I call hidden in plain sight. What does Ken Blackwell say about this letter, for example? Does he admit that this letter? Yeah, he would just he says, "Well, that's evidence." See, he twisted the other. It's evidence. I was very concerned about the issue, but then he was sued by the ACLU. They said, "So change the machines." He said, "After November, <laughs> no problem." Uh huh, and. So you're saying it's partly this neglect, this design, know strategic it's, yeah, neglect. Exactly. And it, is there any part of it, you think, where they somebody says, hey, listen, nobody's wiretapping this, or if the NSA is there on our side, mm-hmm. let's have a conversation in this closed room. You take X amount of ballots from that black district, and you throw it in the dumpster. Well, there's actually, there was some of that, too, just so you know. But mm-hmm. it is done in kind of a quasi-legitimate manner. Mm-hmm. And that was the second pile called provisional ballots okay right. I, i'm the reporter that, that busted the story that you saw like in michael morris films about how black voters thousands of them were wiped off the voter rolls of florida right. before the 2000 election okay because they had the same name as, as, a, as a summer felon, felon right in in ohio and you know whatever i mean literally thousands and thousands of black voters that had, wouldn't have made a difference though in 2000 right. <laughs> it's only five right yeah. exactly so that was that was the election of 2000 uh because of that the, they passed a law called the Help America Vote Act, you know, and when Bush right. tells us he's going to help us vote, God help us. And um, so what happened was that they had the Help America Vote Act, which said we, if you go to the poll and your name isn't on the voter roll, you can ask for a provisional ballot. Okay. Right. And, and so you- now, and then we'll just check if you're a legal voter and you can, and we'll count your ballot. Well, Bush agreed to sign half of that proposal. If you, your name isn't there, you must get a provisional ballot. What he didn't sign. Was counting it. Was actually counting those votes. So what happened in, in Ohio is that a fourth of the people registered in these massive voter drives run by Jesse Jackson, the black community, a fourth of the people didn't find their names at the, at the voter uh, registries. And they were handed provisional ballots. Another group was told because they had these massive long lines. If you went to the wrong precinct, and that often meant the wrong table in the same school gym. Mm-hmm. Well, don't wait another line for two hours. You get a provisional ballot because in Ohio, the rule is if you're, in the, if you're in the wrong precinct but the right county, of course, your vote counts because it's the same president, same candidates. Right. As long as your legal voter will check it. So you fill out a provisional ballot. Tens of thousands of provisional ballots in Ohio. Almost three million provisional ballots in the United States. It turns out we rejected. So Ken Blackwell, the Secretary of State of Ohio, said... Oh, I'm changing rules. You're in the wrong precinct. You may be a legal voter. Too bad. You're legal. You have a legal registration, but if your name wasn't on the voter roll, we don't care. We're sorry. How many did he turn down? What percentage? Real quick. Oh, it was, uh, he turned out about, uh, as I say, enough, about 35%, and that's all he needed. That's the other game. Because it was all generally black voters, newly registered voters who were almost all Almost entirely African-American vote. Uh, Ken Blackwell, by the way, is also black. Uh, So... uh, and Wait, I, stick I just, up for your people. I just, I don't know. I just spoke to a black man about an hour ago. He says, "I want you to know that several aliens have told me Uh-oh. that they placed him there." Now that I have to investigate. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got to take Jerry a quick break. Uh, Greg, hey, Greg, stay with us for just a, a couple sure, seconds, and then when we come back, uh, we'll do, talk real quick about the scheme to steal 08 elections that are coming up. Young Turks coming back from Paris on the train. I really didn't care if the journey took all day Trying to turn the pages off my magazine While trying to keep a hold of your hand And ordering a coffee that I wouldn't ever drink Just to keep you in Paris on my mind Just to keep you in Paris on my mind I didn't know I, I, let me reframe this. What would you do if you came home and discovered that somebody kicked in your front door, walked off with all your furniture, and you look down the street through the open through the through the picture window of the house three houses down, and you notice that all the furniture in their living room looks just like yours used to be. So you're pretty sure the guy living three houses down just stole all your furniture. 
You get on and take a look at it. Yep, there's the cigarette burns on it. There's the, there's the old beer stain. Yep, that's my furniture. What do you do? What do you do if some guy comes along and says, Hey, quit whining about it. It's past history. He's already got your furniture. Get over it. I'm not sure I'd be getting over it. Greetings, by the way, my friends. Patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice. Tom Hartman here with you, broadcasting live coast to coast. Why is it that some folks on the left, on the left, are saying, oh, gee, Robert Kennedy has evidence, evidence, prosecutable evidence. In fact, four people right now in the state of Ohio are under indictment. For rigging, for Republicans, for rigging the elections in 2004. Already four of them are, and that's in a state controlled by the Republicans. Why is it that some, and, and Robert Kennedy last night told me that he's going to be bringing charges against people. In fact, he's asking people to contact him if they're, you know, whistleblowers or people who have knowledge of what's going, what happened in Ohio, to contact him and his law firm, him and Mike Papatino. And, you know, if, if you've got information to share with them. So why is it that there are people on the left who are saying, oh, get over it, quit whining. That's ancient history. I'm sorry, if somebody, if somebody just, you know, kicked in my front door and stole all my furniture, and, and then, you know, somebody comes along and says, ah, get over it, it's over. I say, no, I don't think so. A, I want my furniture back. B, I want that guy's butt thrown in jail. And because C, I don't want him to steal my bedroom furniture. I don't want him coming over the next week and kicking in the door and stealing my dog or my wife. I mean, God, not to sound too possessive, but yeah. I mean, how far is this going to go? What's he going to start taking out members of my family and holding them hostage? I mean, the guy is nuts. He's stealing my furniture. Why should we behave any differently toward a stolen election? Can somebody explain this to me? I don't get it. I'm hearing two theories. I'm getting these emails from people. A lot of this comes out of the fact that I wrote this piece in Common Dreams. It's still up at commondreams.org saying, let's stand up for democracy with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And in fact, one of of our... uh, well, actually, I, I don't know if Lori is a listener. I got an email from, from somebody who read the, the op-ed piece that I wrote. She's in Yonkers, New York. On the, the piece that I wrote on CommonDreams.org, which was picked up in the Baltimore Chronicle and other papers. She says, why is the New York Times not giving proper coverage? This is a letter that she wrote. She says, I got your democracy tag. Because at the end of the article, it said, remember, democracy begins with you, tag you're it. And she says, I got your ta- democracy tag, and I went with it. See below. Excuse me. The, the wonders of a sneeze button there for, for when you really sneeze. Anyhow, she says, I never wrote to the New York Times before. So here's what she wrote to the New York Times. She says, why is the New York Times not giving proper coverage or any coverage to Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s article in RollingStone.com on the stealing of the 2004 election? Republicans prevented more than 350,000 voters in Ohio from casting ballots or having their votes counted, enough to have put John Kerry in the White House by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., RollingStone.com, June 6, 2000, June 1, 2006. It is vital that Americans see, see this thorough study, which exposes the outright fraud and criminal activity in Ohio that gave the White House to Bush a second time. Is the choice of publication a reason to suppress the truth? Shouldn't Kennedy's status be enough to give credence to the issue? Show some guts here and put this story front and center so people can find out the scope of what happened and what's likely to happen again in 06 and 08. Because I'm telling you, if somebody kicks in your front door and steals your living room furniture, they're probably not going to stop there, especially if your official response to it is, well, you know, it's over. We just have to get over it. We shouldn't whine about it. Now, the two theories, I, I, and I, I've gotten, I, I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten on this thing, I, and from people on the left who are trying to figure out why people on the left would say, get over it. And the two categories of answers that I've gotten, and I, I just hope and pray that neither one of these are true. One of them is people saying, well, you know, the Democrats are just as corrupt as the Republicans, and if elections can be rigged, 
you know, they're all in favor of that. They're just waiting for the day when they can rig them. And in fact, uh, they used to rig them. I mean, the Jim Crow laws down in the South, ballot box stuffing in the South. I mean, you know, the Democratic Party was notorious for this in the era during Reconstruction, you know, after the Civil War, all the way up until the 1940s, 1950s, when the Democratic Party was the party of segregation. And yeah, it's true. So is the Democratic Party, are the, are the big lights in the Democratic Party, the big names in the Democratic Party, are they refusing to discuss this because they figure, hey, you know, sooner or later, it, things go in cycles. Sooner or later, the American people are going to say enough already. They're going to throw out enough Republicans that will take back control of the House and the Senate, will take control of some of these states, and in those states, will rig the elections. We'll get George Soros to buy out Diebold, and then we'll rig the voting machines. We'll rig who can be on the polls. I mean, both Ohio and Florida now have passed laws that make it so hard to register a voter that if you accidentally break the law by doing something wrong, like, for example, not going through a training course in every single one of the 80-plus counties in Ohio, you have to go to every county and get trained in how to register voters before you can legally say to somebody, would you like to sign up to vote? And if you fail to do that, you can go to prison. Legal women voters down in Florida said, we're not, we're not registering voters anymore after 80 years of the business. Because the Republicans in Florida passed laws making it almost impossible to register new voters. Now, would that be because the Republicans don't want Republicans to register new voters? I don't think so. It's not about Republicans registering new voters. It's about the fact that the Republicans know that they are the minority. They are the right-wing cranks. And so the only way they can win elections is by suppressing the vote. They do that two ways. One, negative campaigning. Negative campaigning drives down voting numbers. And two, with these outright dirty tricks and law-breaking activity like Robert F. Kennedy documents, gives evidence for in his Rolling Stone piece. As Paul Weyrich, who is now the big booster, Paul Weyrich is pushing the candidacy of Ken Blackwell for governor of Ohio because he thinks that Paul, he thinks that Ken Blackwell could be the next vice president of the United States. Ken Blackwell, the guy who committed the crimes and stole the election for, for George W. Bush in 2004, according to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Paul Weyrich, the guy who claims credit for putting Ronald Reagan in office. The original strategist, one of the founders of the Christian coalition. Here's Paul Weyrich talking in a church about politics and, uh, well, you know, what the Republicans are all about, basically. Now, many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome. Good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. So, number one, we've got the theory that Democrats are not speaking up about this because they figure their time will come and they can steal elections. Number two, I've, I've got a whole bunch of emails from people saying that their theory is that what you're seeing is jockeying among major, large ego, large money, large power folks within the Democratic Party over who's going to run. And that if John Kerry, if it's, if it's demonstrated in a court of law or as a consequence of of prosecutions in Ohio, if it's demonstrated that George W. Bush is not the legitimate president of the United States, that John Kerry and John Edwards actually won, then that means that John Kerry and or John Edwards would have a huge, I mean, they'd be catapulted to the front of the line in terms of moral authority to run in 2008. And there are people, uh, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, others, who have already said they want to run in 2008. They really don't want John Kerry and John Edwards in the way. And in fact, they didn't want John Kerry and John Edwards to win in the first place because it was a strong ticket with two guys who could who could have done two sequential presidential. In other words, John Edwards was strong enough that he could have run for president and in fact had, which meant that they were tied up for 16 years. Eight years of Kerry presidency, eight years of an Edwards presidency, and by that time, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and anybody else who might be seriously thinking about running for president as a Democrat right now would be too old to do so. And so they want this thing put to bed, and they didn't want them to win in the first place. That's why they advised Kerry to, to roll over right from the get-go. Who knows?
Greg, in your new book, uh, you talk about how they're planning to steal the 08 elections. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about that. What, what's what's up ahead? They're going to just crank up these tricks, plus they got something new. The voter ID business. Mm-hmm. Now, voter ID is to po- supposedly to stop someone from voting in your name, from stealing your ID. Now, if someone steals your ID, they're going to buy a stereo and go to Brazil. And vote for president. Right, but they're not going to go vote for the school board with your ID. Right, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Come on. And in fact, just to, just to know this, 300,000 people in the last election were rejected, uh, were told they couldn't vote because they had the wrong ID. So I said, so there's criminals, people trying to vote for someone else. That's a felony in every state. I said, right. how many arrests? I can't find a single one anywhere. And we are not finding any cases of vote theft, uh, of voter theft, of ID voter theft. As one Hispanic organizer for the Catholic Church says, I can't get people to vote once, let alone twice. I mean, what is, you know, what is this about? So what it is about, the new voter ID which is going to be pushed with all this war on terror databases and the war on immigration, uh, immigration uh, databases, that all will be used to knock out more voters. That's uh, how many states one. have passed that? We're looking at, uh, I expect, two dozen states to have passed voter right ID Right now, have any of them passed it? Oh, yeah. We just had a horrible yeah. one in Georgia, New Georgia, Mexico. Right? Uh, exactly. Some places where it's swing states. But why is, if you why don't have a voter ID card, you're not going to be able to vote in Georgia. That's right. You have to have a and and there's games like like we had games in New Mexico, uh, in where Hispanics in these elections controlled by white Republican uh, county uh, elections officials were saying, okay, uh, your your uh, registration says Louis E Perez, but your driver's license just says Louis Perez. You don't have it. Where's the E? Get out of here. Scram, Louis. And so this is the games that are being played. All right. The book is Armed Madhouse. The author is Greg uh, Palast. It's uh, fascinating stuff and uh, uh, worth uh, buying and reading and getting very angry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) www.gregpalast.com if you want to see those WWC reports that are too dangerous for American Airways. Gregpalast.com. It sounds like uh, they're worth watching. my life I'm a lot like you were Oh man look at my life I'm a lot like you Second story on the front page today is about the uproar uh, the sputtering fury that is greeting a really spectacularly provocative shot across the bow uh, from Air America Radio's own Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. hosts Ring of Fire with our pal Mike Papantonio on the weekends here on Air America. I think it's one of our best shows. If you've never listened to it, you owe it to yourself to listen or at least podcast. Um, Bobby Kennedy has, has a story in the current issue of Rolling Stone magazine about the 2004 elections. And we have linked to it at MaddoOnline.com today for you to check out. You can get it online even if you can't get it on the newsstand yet. It is incredibly detailed. It's incredibly well-researched. It's got dozens and dozens and dozens of footnotes. And it basically makes the case that the 2004 elections in this country were stolen. And because he's Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and because the work is really compellingly done, this is not going to be as easily dismissed as all the other good work that has been done since 2004, documenting the ridiculously suspect 04 election. So, therefore, what's going to happen to Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? Uh, prepare for the dump truck full of slime, right? Uh, my pal Tucker Carlson, whose show on MSNBC I am paid to appear on uh, increasingly infrequently these days. Um, uh, but in the interest of full disclosure, you should know I have a connection to this show. Tucker went after RFK Jr. Uh, with both bow ties blazing last night. And it was a good preview of, I think, what's going to get thrown at Bobby Kennedy. And it was actually, I think, a total blowout win for Bobby in terms of him holding his ground and winning the argument. Check this out. It is a purely partisan piece. You quote again and again Howard Dean, John Conyers, Dennis Kucinich, Ralph Nees. I mean, literally, Michael Moore and Ramsey Clark are about the only two left. No, I guess you don't quote. And my question is, why hasn't Congress determined that's that? In other words, if the election was thrown in or were obvious to those who looked carefully, it would be a news story. The press is not going to hide something like that, and neither is Congress. So why isn't this common knowledge? Well, first of all, I quote a lot of Democrats in the piece, but I quote an equal amount of Republicans. I quote Kenneth Mailman. I quote Matt. Damn Schroeder. I quote the people who were involved in the efforts to suppress the Democratic vote and to expand in other ways the Republican vote. Ding! 
Score one for Bobby Kennedy. Question: I, I don't. You only quote Democrats. No, I don't. Here are the Republicans that I quote. That's a pretty good rejoinder to that argument. So there's the issue of who he's quoting in the story and whether this is a purely partisan speech, a purely partisan article. But then there's also the issue of why isn't this news? Well, it is news. Here I am on your TV show talking about it. Let's see what else Tucker has to say. Answer. You don't show that they were stolen. You show, you claim that election officials prevented very indirectly people from getting registered. Okay, that's different from stealing votes. And I think your overstatement devalues the power of what might be a more compelling piece. No, listen, what I show is that there were three, 350,000 people, mainly from Democratic precincts, who were not allowed to vote or whose votes weren't counted. I also show... Tucker, that there were 80,000 people in 12 rural counties who had their votes shifted from John Kerry, who intended to vote for John Kerry, but their votes ended up being counted for George Bush. This is very damning stuff, and he has the statistics and the facts to back it up. And to Bobby Kennedy's credit, excellent use of the word Tucker. Tucker. <laughs> I just throws that in there in the middle. I have to do that more. Uh, more. More importantly, though, in all this is that Bobby Kennedy getting slimed on this issue still means that they've got to address what he's actually put in this article. Right. In order to attack him on this, they have to describe what he actually says in the article. And the facts, as he lays them out, are really important and have been really, really ignored. We've got one more clip for you. First of all, I think it's indisputable whether you want to call it a, a conspiracy or an agreement or whatever you want that the uh, high-level Republican officials mounted a concerted, deliberate effort to fix the 2004 election, and that there's strong evidence that they succeeded in doing so, particularly in the state of Ohio. The more people hear about this article, even if it's only because it's being attacked by the right, the better. The more people hear about this, the better, because that means at least some of those people will actually go read it for themselves and see what he has documented. They have tried to do everything they possibly can to make this a marginal issue, a kooky conspiracy theory issue, as if the, you know, the alternative version of what happened in 2004, that everything was just fine, right? As if the version, as if that version of events is just obviously true. They're just trying to pretend that, you know, the 2000 Florida recount was totally normal, business as usual and above reproach. They're trying to pretend that those long lines in Ohio in 2004, those voting machine malfunctions, the lockdown of voting sites, that was totally normal. And anybody else who might think otherwise is, is, is a kook. Well, it's not a kook issue. This is a totally central issue that ought to be treated a lot more seriously. They've tried to desperately make it seem like, like, like this is some sort of marginal thing, but watch as they are not able to do that in the face of this big, important new development in this article from Bobby Kennedy. I'm very proud of him and happy he is associated with this network. This is how it works. It feels a little worse than when we drove our hearse right through that screaming crowd. This is like the third clip uh, in a in a row that is. Uh, or this week of Cafferty's, which was excellent. So it's Jack Cafferty doing what the no other cable host will do and taking on the administration. Of course, the first voice you'll hear is that of his uh, his fearless leader, uh, Wolf Blitzer, who's uh, in the uh, Situation Room. Uh, by the way, Wolf has gotten the memo that we're making fun of him for not saying anything to Jack after uh, the pieces. So he's trying a little bit. You'll see it here, too. All right, here we go. Jack Cafferty is standing by in New York. He's got the Cafferty file. Jack. Great line from Bill Schneider. Bill Clinton felt your pain. George Bush flew over it. With midterm elections about five months away, the fundamental right of many Americans to vote might be in jeopardy. Florida has passed a new law that makes it financially impossible for the League of Women Voters to continue to register new voters. They've decided they can no longer afford to carry out that mission. It's something they've been doing for 67 years. That's a shame. In Washington, a new law prevents people from voting if the state cannot match information on voter registration forms with government databases. Good luck depending on the accuracy of government anything. 
and Congress is considering a voter ID requirement that they would tack onto the immigration reform bill. It would require all voters to present federally mandated photo ID. Even people who have voted for years would have to get one of these photo IDs in order to vote in 2008. People without driver's licenses, including many elderly and city residents who don't drive, might fail to do so and thus would be ineligible to vote. Don't kid yourself. This stuff isn't happening accidentally. These are calculated moves by people in power to corrupt the system in such a way that they are able to remain in power. Here's the question. Is the right to vote being threatened in the United States? Email your thoughts to CafferdyFile at CNN.com or go to CNN.com slash CafferdyFile. It's becoming, Wolf, a situation where those who are in power only want those of us to vote who can help those of them who those of them those of them who are in power uh, it's it's a it's a vicious nasty little thing that's beginning to creep into the system uh, here and there we'll watch it closely together with you jack uh, get ready for a lot of angry email from our viewers i suspect thank you very much who does a love Wolf Blitzer? <laughs> you guys are a comedy show. Put him and Rita Cosby in a, in a room together and just laugh and laugh and laugh. Whoa, oh, why somebody just strangled me with my own bikini? <laughs> Thank you, Rita. Next, Jack Cafferty. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, get ready for a lot of angry emails, Jack. We'll continue to follow that story with you. No, you won't. No, you won't. <laughs> You're already on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, two things. I, you know, I dare listen to the show. Hey, CNN producers. Hi, how you doing? Nice to see you. I'm glad you're with us today uh, because, number one, Wolf Blitz is trying to talk to Cafferty afterwards. They got that memo. We clearly sent that memo. Number two, uh, they've stopped with the nonsense choices for the poll. Oh, yeah. Like, just, just, one, do you agree with Jack Cafferty after he just yelled at you? Right. Or two, are you crazy enough to disagree with Jack Cafferty? <laughs> they just got rid of the choices. They're like, here's the question. Send us your angry emails. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and I love And then you look, Cafferty, he says there. He's not a like a liberal. He's not a Democrat. He's a, he says, what, what do you trust the government to run right? right? Right. That's not a liberal thing to say at all. No, it's in fact fairly conservative. Right. Yeah. But the guy is common sense American. What he says is, obviously these laws look, are there to prevent people from voting. Look, the default position in this country uh, should always be that we're going to make it easier for you to vote. You should be helped in your ability to vote. We are going to do all we can to make it so you can vote. And then if afterwards we find some reason that you shouldn't vote, we won't count your vote. As opposed to doing it ass backwards here with the voter ID, which is a predisposition to make it hard for you to vote. We should want, every American should want everybody to vote. That's how this country works. I, that's, I was led to believe in civics class that we called it a democracy. No, it's out, you know, we don't talk enough about the story. It's outrageous. And obviously with uh, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s story on, on the, per, the, the stealing of the 2004 election, I hope all this stuff gets a lot more attention. We will give it its appropriate yeah, attention. Yeah, and, and next week we'll start talking about it a lot more, too. And I like how Cafferty's taking uh, Apparently the new Greg Palast on, on CNN. So it's catching on. The voting thing's a, a definite problem. Tuesday in November, took that stroll to cast my ballot at the local poll. Lines were long, but I didn't care. I had water, a hat, and my folding chair. Walked up to the booth, didn't say a word. Sure that my voice would be heard. I hit that button, my vote was sent. But now nobody knows exactly where it went. I lost my vote, it isn't fair. I took a stand on this. Anybody care that I lost my vote now? There you go. Welcome back, my friends. 21 minutes past the hour. Ben writes to me. He says, this is a copy of a letter I sent to the chairman of the Warren County, Iowa Democratic Party Central Committee. I'm a member of that committee. The letter is self-explanatory. I also sent copies to various candidate campaigns and to the Iowa Secretary of State's office. He says, this makes me really sick. You can add this one to your voting machine alert collection. And uh, Ben writes, Don, this is to Don Ruby, who's the uh, chairman of the Warren County, Iowa Democratic Party Central Committee. 
Don, I just voted on a Diebold paperless voting machine for the primary. The same Diebold and the same paperless voting machines that were likely used to steal the 2004 election from John Kerry in Ohio. A paperless voting machine with no way to do recounts because there's no paper trail. A paperless voting machine with secret proprietary software and hardware that no one is allowed to see. Paperless voting machines which our country, which our county platform calls for the elimination of. I was not allowed at the Greenfield uh, one precinct polling place to cast my vote on a paper ballot. Further, as far as I could tell, there were no Democrats sitting on the election board. At least there was no one there I recognized. Can someone tell me how and why the bloody hell this was allowed to happen? He says, I called Tracy and complained. She was very condescending in her response. She was not interested in seeing hard data on the subject, although she said she would look into why I was not allowed to cast a paper ballot. It's past time for her to be removed from office. With no auditable paper trail, I confidently expect a GOP sweep through Warren County in November. Why the hell should I bother to vote or do anything? This is not a resignation letter from the Central Committee, but I am extremely upset and angered by what I found in my polling place today. Has the party finally thrown in the towel? Have we decided that transparent, fair, honest elections are not worth the expense or effort? And have we decided that democratic government is no longer worth the expense or effort? Can someone answer any of these questions? Ben. He ta- he, his, his tagline at the bottom of the letter... Of course it hurts when you're being screwed by an elephant. Uh, yeah, okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. So I just wanted to take a couple of minutes and, as promised, talk about this funny email that I got last weekend. And it was it was interesting because it actually reminded me of something that I had completely forgotten about. I have a link on my website that says something to the effect of take my listener survey and I I really don't think that I've even mentioned it on the show in about two months and apparently some people found that link and they took the survey and so they filled it out and then I just got you know an email that said we're sending this out to all the shows who have had so many responses you know x plus responses and so I got like 21 or 22 people who filled this out and so I just sat here and for like an hour and read through it all and it was really um shocking in a lot of ways I mean it was not shocking in a lot of ways as well you know things like uh you know rate the content of the show it was like 9.5 out of 10 and I thought well yeah you know it's the best of the left like how bad could it be you know but then you know, I was a little shocked that, you know, that the host, that would be me, actually got a fairly high rating as well. Not as high as the content, thank God. But, uh, you know, I I, I just thought, man, I, I, I mean, I've even said it in past shows, I can't even imagine that, um, I can't even imagine that people actually listen to me. Because I, I figured when I started talking, that's when people... Just uh, hit the button and and move on to their next show. But then take it one step further, and someone actually wrote in the comments. Uh, of course, I've lost it now. But they said, "I wish the host would talk longer at the end, because they like my minute-long segment at the end." And I mean, I really have to say, uh, up until I got this email, I thought that I had, you know, probably one of the smartest audiences out there, you know, because obviously, you know, as a uh, as a, a clear-thinking human who uh, falls into all of the same mental traps as everyone else, I assume that if you think exactly the way I do, then that makes you smart. And so, pretty much with podcasting, no matter what kind of podcast you do, because there's like 50,000 of them out there, the audience that you're going to attract is going to be basically a clone of yourself. Um, so it, it's a it's one of those little secrets that maybe you don't realize just as an audience member but as a host of a podcast uh, I will speak for all hosts of all podcasts we just do it to 
boost our own self-esteem. That's, I mean, that's really what it's all about. I mean, there's, you know, you know, liberal politics and change. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's so that we get emails telling us how great we are because, you know, we just attract people who are just like us. And so it's like patting yourself on the back, basically. So, but until I got this email saying, you know, they wanted me to talk more, I thought, oh, my, you know, what a freaking waste of time. Who's who's this person? So I thought that was fun. And, I, you know, there was a lot of other fun stuff on there as well. But, you know, that, that was the highlight. Um, but take take this as a, as a little reminder, you know, because I was reminded it, it would it would actually help out me and the show and oh no no, no I I almost totally forgot um it 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 said that you know my approval rating was like eight point nine out of ten and but then how much you would trust me to you know sell crap like insurance or electronics equipment and stuff was like three that my average was three so apparently you guys like to listen to me but wouldn't trust me with anything uh, of value that's that's the message i took away from that so uh, it, i mean what help does that do how, how am i ever supposed to make any money on this thing if uh if you you guys don't trust me to, to sell you crap. No advertisers are, are going to trust me either. So, anyway, maybe it's a lost cause. But anyways, the point being, if you want to uh, uh, entertain me endlessly, go and take this survey, because then I'll get another email like this, and I can spend, you know, hours and hours combing through all the the raw data and totally entertaining myself on that. Uh, it's It's... On uh, it's on the website bestoftheleftpodcast.com under the support the, su support the show. That's what I was trying to say. Support the show section, and th you know there's lots of stuff you can do. Uh, I'm constantly reminding you to vote at Podcast Alley, which you know I try not to say it every show, but you get the idea. Vote at Podcast Alley. Leave me reviews at iTunes. Take the survey, that sort of thing. So. Uh, if uh, if you'd like to do that, break a leg, basically, is what I'm saying. As I'm finishing up here, I'm suddenly getting the sense that you're um, severely disappointed in in my fun story that I talked about and my the fun email. Uh, I think that it's totally possible that it wasn't actually fun for anybody but me. But I don't know, maybe. Maybe you crazies out there wanted to listen to me talk about it anyways and wish I'd go on longer, but I won't. Uh, speaking of disappointment, uh, tune in to Friday's show. I've been talking about it all week, and the more I think about it, the more I think that it is a dreadful idea to promote my own episodes because you're going to hear it, and your expectations are going to be so high that... Uh, I will never be able to uh, come through on that promise. So um, expect a totally uh, average and normal show on Friday. Uh, it's about the media. It's my favorite show ever. But, it, I mean, it's not a big deal or anything. It's, it's pretty normal. So until tomorrow, have a good one, everybody. Hi, this is Twilight from the Twilight and Deep Show, and I'm a proud member of the Progressive Podcast Network. Visit and learn more at newmediarevolution.org.